Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The man team. Mega Bears fan. Welcome, Internet, to Polycast episode 349, which will hopefully not be a dumpster fire on account of the fact that our usual uh, host, Canis Albinus, is not here. You, Internet people, will have to make do with myself, Mega Bears fan, along with usual hosts, Makalua. Who was so confused I opened Skype instead of Discord? Oops! And the me and team. Leading the ship, hopefully not off a cliff. Yeah, I was expecting Discord to work like Skype. I was waiting for uh, Phil to call me, <laughs> and then we were late, so that's a little bit on me. Yeah, that turtle's all the way down. I'll steer us off to flat Earth. things that show up all the time uh how about those ais that always show up in your game this is a topic started over in civ Phonetics by la bella vienna uh at least in well i'm gonna say their case because the picture is a girl but i don't know if that's them or their girlfriend or what have you so but shaka shows up in every single game that i play why they never get wilhima or gandhi but saladin and arabia shows up all the time this is like in civ 5 where they had russia every game and so they asked the community oh, which leader show up for you Shaka's a popular one, because you're going to get some uh, confirmation bias slash uh, fond memories every time you get a sieve like that in your game. Yeah, you kind of tend to notice when it's Shaka, but, you know, there's probably other ones that show up. Let me think. Uh, Korea a lot, actually. Because if it's not a human playing Korea in the multiplayer games, then Korea shows up and is a pain in the butt. 11 billion thousand science. <laughs> So, like, for me, the closest thing I can think of is Congo, but not really. Like, I just don't, uh, I don't experience this, I guess. Uh, that said, uh, Civ 6, I believe, has changed how it works from Civ 4. Uh, back in Civ 4, you actually were more likely to see some leaders than others, because the game would first select a Civ and then select a leader. So, for example, Shaco is three times more likely than Lincoln, because uh, there are three American mm -hmm. leaders. So th there actually was some degree of this previously, but I don't think that's true any longer. So yeah, I don't think I have any one Civ that I think shows up too often in my Civ 6 games. I know in Civ 5, I think it was Alexander and Napoleon. Every game, it seemed like they were there, just warmongering up an entire continent. Uh, I think the closest I ever came in Civ 6 was vanilla in vanilla was Congo. But since the expansion packs, I haven't seen Congo as much, so... Yeah, I can't think of any one Civ that I feel shows up all the time. I think I see Norway a lot, but they're usually a pushover, so meh. I think we see Russia a lot in a multiplayer game, too. You have not developed your culture enough. <laughs> it's turn two, Peter. What do you expect me to do? Well, on that note, you got a similar thing from the Congo. Why <laughs> have you given us your religion? Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to have to found it first. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that Congo always stood out to me, because that was something that was noticeable when it happened. So there was the confirmation bias there of like, yes, Congo, I know, I founded my religion two turns ago, 
my missionary's not there yet. I'm still saving up faith to buy him. Jeez, give me a break. Yeah. So, what sieves uh, would we want to see every game? I, I think Shaka's a good candidate. It's unfortunate Dan isn't here <laughs> for me saying that, but uh, he's a lot of fun. I think Genghis Khan in every game would give you good times. Uh, certainly Congo, because he texts pretty well. And you have to throw Korea in the mix, too, uh, just, just for some balance. I do notice that I feel like I do not see Egypt enough, because uh, Egypt, if I recall correctly, is one of those sieves that actually has, like, a pretty strong bonus for you being, like, friends with her and sending her trade routes and stuff like that. So I always want Egypt to be in my game, especially when I'm playing for, with sieves that, like, have, like, a strong growth power, like, uh, uh, what is it, the Khmer or someone like that. I'm like, oh, come on, please let Egypt be in this game so I can trade with her and get free food. Nope. And then, no, she's not there. Or if she is, she dies, like, 50 turns into the game. <laughs> she likes that strong Genghis Khan military, and then she becomes Mongolian. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, that's usually what happens to her. <laughs> that's what happens in multiplayer games. <laughs> well, that happens to everybody in multiplayer games. He builds 11 billion chariots and just decides to overrun whoever's closest. And they're like, oh, <clears throat> because it'll be, like, only turn 50. What? They might barely have just researched Spearmen, but they haven't built them yet, so... I would like to have the option, though, to be able to set the um, the game setup screen to, like, filter out maybe certain civilizations or leaders, not only for me, but also for the AI, just so that, like, I can maybe see more civs and, and more leaders if I feel like one's popping up too much. I'd also like to have a way to be, like, uh, for me to select a random sieve, but for the uh, the game to, like, know which sieves I've, like, played recently or have already beaten the game with and then not pick those ones so that, you know, I don't keep re-rolling the same sieve over and over and over again. That's been a, a fairly often requested thing. I don't feel like a huge percentage of all players do, but I see that on forums uh, now and then throughout the years, uh, even dating back to Civ 4, but also Civ 5 and Civ 6. It's just been one of those, like, small features that people would like. And I think that would be pretty yeah. easy to implement with it's just like a drop-down menu and checkbox. Like, uh, here's the people that you can get, and then you just act out whoever you don't want to get for that. Right, like, especially with the Hall of Fame in the game. Like, just look at that. Oh, you've beaten the game with these civs. Don't pick those civs. Yeah. Well, even just having a tab with an exclusion list or something. I don't want these people against me, but I don't want to be these people either. Yeah. Right. I probably would have used that for Congo in Civ Six Vanilla because I'm just like, all right, I'm I don't want to found religions anymore. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, I didn't found religions, but then that just caused us to have some differences that were resolved otherwise. <laughs> just don't use archery units against this unique unit. But we'll get to that later. And skipping through the forum topic, I, I don't feel like I'm seeing any one Civ like pop out a lot. So it looks like you know. Everyone else is seeing a pretty good variety of civilizations. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that this isn't one of those areas that's likely to turn up an actual bug with uh, leader presentation or something. It's not like that uh, fabricate claim nonsense from EU4. My gosh, there have been some times in games, and that was that. That's one example where the uh, where it's not actually uh, going randomly the way the odds are presented to you. So that's uh, that can catch you off guard now and then. But most of the time, these pseudo-random number generators are pretty good, and human beings cannot actually perceive whatever limitations they have. They just think they see patterns in randomness. Most of the time, that's the case, and that includes in the Civ games. Confirmation bias is a very powerful force. Yes. 
Although again, in, in Civ Four, you were more likely to see some other le some leaders than others because of the way the algorithm worked. So, <laughs> if you're suspicious, you can do controlled trials or look at the code, and maybe you'll find something. Usually, you won't, but sometimes you do. Yeah, there's probably also a lot of uh, Civ Five players who were veterans of Civ Four, and then like they rolled the same Civ twice in a row, and they're like, "Oh, this problem again." <laughs> Even if it wasn't actually true. I don't think Civ Five dropped with too many alternate leaders for Civs, so I think it would have it would have been avoided that way. Well, no, there there weren't any, but I mean, just by random happenstance, like the same Civ shows up twice in like two consecutive games. You know, someone oh. who maybe played a lot of Civ Four might be like, "Oh, the, this problem again." You know what maybe. I mean? Maybe. Like I said, confirmation bias. Maybe that'd be attributing one problem to a different type of problem necessarily, though. But yeah, you never know. Some people do that now and then. Because it, it did randomize civs in Civ 4 properly. It was leaders that were inconsistent. Right. So are uh, we done there? Because I hear Civ 5, and speaking of Civ 5... <laughs> uh, we have an, a clue without posting an article. Civilizations at War. Civilization 6 versus Civ 5. And, uh, yeah, you're comparing the games. I, I don't know if I want to read through the entire article uh, on the show. Uh, a clue without does give a summary on the... Uh, page. I'm just looking if there's anything here that jumps out for me uh, for others. Because it's like for, for me personally, I like Civ 6 more than 5 uh, for a couple reasons. It, it it does have somewhat better incentives or I should say it has significantly better incentives because it doesn't have the same degree of tall versus wide cancer. So that's a big advantage to Civ 6. Um, the graphics are pushed as far as I'm concerned. The way the games run um if you have a lot of cities in Civ Five, it was slowing down, but now machines are better, so they're probably pretty similar. But <laughs> the the, uh, the computers have improved since Civ Five, at least uh, the the hardware that is. Uh, so I find Civ Six runs a little bit better for me than Civ Five did uh, in their relative eras. Uh, controls are a nightmare in both, so I'm not gonna uh, say too much about that. I do miss the movement of Civ Five a little bit compared to Civ Six. Yeah, with terrain. I would like Civ 6's movement a lot better if, like I've said on numerous occasions, like the map were more properly scaled for that sort of, you know, hex-based tactical gameplay. Yeah, and comparing Civ 5 to Civ 6, that's a problem in that in both games. Uh, it, Civ 5 only partially mitigated it by uh, <laughs> by wrecking expansion, basically, and encouraging few cities with tradition so much, or you know, like slightly more cities with liberty, as your only really viable strategies, and most people want tradition. So, right. Okay, uh, you can you can get around the unit clutter to some degree by just making less crap on the map, but that's not a very fun way to go about a four X strategy game, in my opinion. Well, it's not. It's not even just the unit clutter. It's also just the pace at which the units move. Like Civ Five, you could always spend one movement point to move onto terrain. So yeah. moving units across the board was a lot quicker and smoother than it is in Civ Six, where you have to stop before entering a tile, which I think is a good rule. Like I said, it's just there's not enough open space to work with in the game. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly. Because five... it, it, yeah, it, the, the clumping of units because of the terrain gets really frustrating, and it makes a problem with like moving units in general being frustrating exacerbated. And you're exactly right. Yeah. If the map had more room, that wouldn't be as much of an issue. And Civ yes. Five also had better roads and railroads to allow you to move your units faster. Like in Civ Six, you don't start to actually see a movement benefit from your roads until like halfway through the game. Yeah, that's true. Other than just ignoring some terrain stuff, they're pretty weak for quite some time. 
Yeah, it just gets you over the hills and really bad, st or through a forest really quickly, but it doesn't uh, give them a little bit of acceleration, which is, when you have a unit that's like the Legions, who in real life did build roads to get to conquering faster, like, like give them a little bit of acceleration. Why can't we get there faster? It's a road, you know? Right. Yeah, and then on top of that, in Civ Five, you could actually build the roads where the heck you wanted them, and in Civ Six, like, that's a lot more of a chore. Yeah, you have to go and build the engineers to do that, and that's not until fairly, fairly, fairly well along in the tech tree. Yeah, and he's only got, like, what, two charges? And did they change it so that building a road no longer costs a charge because there's actually more things you can do with the engineer now, or does the road still cost one of the military uh, engineers two charges? I actually don't know because I haven't used them in so long. No, I haven't either. Yeah, I pretty much only use them now for tunnels, so <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, the traders are just a better. All the mountain ranges don't have to be the Himalayas. No. Yeah, I, I would also like to say that uh, a clue without like asks like why is this Civ Five Civ Six comparison still a thing? And I, I think the article does actually answer that because on the very first paragraph it says that Civ Six and Civ Five recently swapped on Steam's you know top games list. So the reason yeah. this is coming up is that Civ Six has finally surpassed, I guess, Civ Five in terms of how many people have bought it or are actively playing it. But which, this uh, isn't that unusual because it took a long time for Civ Five to top Civ Four. Yeah, right. I mean, it... and the DLC model pushes that even more because you release vanilla Civ Six against like full developed Civ Five, and anybody who wasn't really opposed to the core mechanics of Civ Five. It's going to be a hard switch at first, because uh, you just have more features and things to consider in Civ 5 than 6, initially. Yeah, a lot of... <clears throat> there's some of the people who aren't going to hop over until later, also because they're waiting to get a better computer that could run the newer game. Yeah. Well, and Civ 6's sales on Steam are probably actually going to be, for lack of a better word, stunted a little bit, because the game is... and is currently available on other platforms, unlike Civ Five, and is about to become available on more platforms. You know, it's a... I think they're doing console releases, like, what are they? I think they come out next week, right? Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know exactly when, but it's, it's it's in the very near future that they're going to be out on consoles. This is where I wish we had Canis, because Canis knows, but I don't know this offhand. We talked I, about I, it I feel recently, like I, though. I feel like I just saw a tweet from... Axis like earlier this week saying the games would be out on consoles next week so I, I think that's an accurate yeah, getting it out before Thanksgiving and all the sales and stuff <laughs> that's right you can one more turn your way through Thanksgiving and not even have to deal with in-laws and this Ooh. is where people say that the UI had to suffer for it but I disagree like if you're playing Civ on a console your input efficiency is more important than ever like you're not going to get through a game nicely if you have to like painstakingly switch between stuff with a lot of inputs, or have to like drag your cursor around with a joystick uh, for ages. So I, I think streamlining the inputs is even more important, and having bindable keys is even more important. But uh, we'll PS4 see how it goes. does have the uh, the touchpad thingy, and I'm I'm wondering if Civ 6 on consoles will use that touchpad like uh, a mouse pointer or a laptop touchpad. It's really difficult to use on the PS4 in that way because it's so small, but it is there, and I'm wondering if they use it. Yeah, they might. Although I just want to say one of the thumb joysticks would be more... Yeah, if the like... touchpad is that small, I might prefer the thumb joystick, even though it's slower. Yeah, I probably would too, but like I said, it's there, so I'm curious if they use it. But you could have a situation like where you press a button to go to next unit, and then like you use the joystick uh, to like plot a course... But it doesn't commit until, like, it shows you a, a, an expected path for a unit to take. 
and it doesn't commit until you hit a second button. Like you can do that stuff, and if you're practiced, you could do those kinds of inputs really quickly. Yeah, my guess would be, you know, I, I think if I were designing the game, it'd be something like use the left and right triggers to cycle through units, and use the left and right shoulder buttons to cycle through cities. That's probably how I would implement. Oh yeah, that would make sense. And maybe even like hold both of the buttons to select like all of them, you know, hold both of the uh, shoulder buttons to select all of your cities and add something to their queue and press both of the trigger buttons to select, like, all of your units or to, like, drag, you know, an area to select multiple. That'd be nice. It's the same thing with the city menu, too. It'd be nice to have some control from there. So, uh, I know I've spoken about it in the past on the show. It, those, are, those are just features that didn't need to go away and certainly could be supported on consoles and would make consoles better, too, not just PC players. Yeah, I, I am curious, but not curious enough to spend $60 on a game that I already own. Yeah. <laughs> so, Firaxis, if you, if you want to send me a free copy of the PS4 version of Civilization VI, I would be happy to play it and write a review for you. Mm-hmm. I, I still have uh, an Xbox One. That's the newest console I have, and I haven't used that in a while either. I've, I've pretty much gone PC Master Ace myself. It's just more convenient. Although, I, if consoles are basically computers now anyway, but then... You know, I have a computer to my liking. Why would I get another computer? Right. But yeah, back on to like the actual topic. Uh, I, I would definitely agree that um, Civ 4, Civ 5, and Civ 6 all have like strengths and weaknesses compared to and relative to each other. And it is very hard to, for me anyway, to definitively say that one of those games is like the best of the three or to definitively rank them. Because yeah, each of them does things that I like and then each of them doesn't do things that the others do that I wish they did. Like, uh, you know, Civ Six, I really like that it's more of a builder's game. You know, in Civ Five, like, the cities were just kind of almost like watch military watchtowers and not, like, real cities. But because you're actually building things on the map in Civ Six, like, I get more enjoyment out of actually literally building my empire as opposed to just conquering one. But, uh, yeah, Civ Five, like... I really like. I preferred how the trade routes in Civ Five worked. I preferred how uh, the um, Great Works worked in Civ Five, uh, especially like the theming bonuses and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's hard to say that one is definitively better than the other. And you could pass the standing army tax in every game. Troll. And I still miss the uh, the civics system in Civ Four. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in that case, like. Mm -hmm. Between Civ 4s and Civ 6s uh, card uh, system, there's a lot to like in both, but I actually think Civ 6 has the best when it comes to that. Which probably sounds odd to me, because on odd to others, because on balance, I would say Civ 4 is the best game. But that's on balance. There are certainly things that 5 and 6 do better than 4. Um, I'd say, like for example, Civ 5, which is my least favorite game of the three, has probably the best early game Barbarian balance <laughs> out of the three games, for example. It's really frustrating in both Civ 4 and Civ 6, yeah, where you, you can just get really hosed by RNG no matter what you do in a few cases, depending on your start. Like, you can just get scouted immediately in Civ 6. Or in Civ 4, if you have a fairly open area on high difficulties and you just roll poorly, you, you lose your buffer units, and now you either have to fight barbs constantly or just train out a whole bunch of units and get pretty far behind in your expansion and development. Uh, so And in Civ and in Civ 4 as well, uh, your cities didn't defend themselves. So if you left your capital unguarded because you sent your warrior <laughs> and scout there. out to explore, yeah, the barbarians would literally just walk in and you lose the game. 
Although, I do think that un cities needing units to defend them is better, and that Civ 4 has the best representation of city defense in the three games. Uh, I do a like lot of people won't agree with me on that, but I really hate the, ci the huge city hit points. I really hate that you can hold off for many turns against a full army with basically nothing, such that your troop positioning doesn't matter <laughs> very much in the newer games. Like, that, that yeah. bothers me, because troop positioning... Yeah. Like, people say that the new games are more tactical, and yet when I look at that stuff, I'm like, really? Like, uh, it used to really matter where your units were in the earlier game, and now less so. I, I don't know if you're going to be able to claim this is more yeah, tactical. I, I mean, I, I like the compromise that Civ Six made where you have to build the walls to get the bombardment. So you actually do have yeah. to invest in infrastructure to actually defend the cities and fend off an army. But I do think they're too strong. Right, you build the ancient walls, and like they're good for the whole game, pretty much. Like I rarely ever upgrade to medieval or renaissance walls, even on cities that you know are on the front lines of combat. Uh, and I would even say that like there's uh, advantages and benefits even to the unit stacking systems in uh, in Civ Four compared to the you know hex combat of Civ Five and Six. Yeah, there are some advantages. It, it did have the, the collateral initiative uh, thing was. Kinda iffy though. Like so much of the game was collateral initiative, and I, I think that could have been balanced better. Yeah, it could have. I don't know how you do it though. <laughs> I mean, one year per tile isn't bad per se, but it's it does suffer from the insufficient space to really make u full use of those tactics. Yeah, I'm not sure how you would properly incentivize Civ Four players to split up their armies a little bit more rather than just putting them all into large stacks, short of just having like a cap on how many units can be in a stack, or maybe some making stacks cost more maintenance or something like that. Well, interestingly, in multiplayer games, people did have to split stacks, because what would happen is everyone would have roads all over their land. So like the second you entered their land, they would not only be able to see your stack, but they would be able to to choose when to attack your stack. So if you were even kind of close militarily, you'd just get hit by like 10 siege units. All your units would have very little health, and then you'd get completely wiped out. And, and then yeah. you'd have very little to defend yourself after that. So, so you really didn't want to go with one large stack unless you had a significant technological lead or something else was going on to make that attack viable. Like, there, you know their entire army is somewhere else, so you can take advantage of it now. Uh, absent that, it was extremely risky to push into enemy territory in multiplayer because unlike the AI, which was very inconsistent about punishing this, uh, any decent human player would just shred you. Yeah, and I almost exclusively played single player, so you know that was a tactic that never was relevant for me when I played Civ Four, and I was only playing on like the intermediate difficulties, you know, at that time as well. So yeah. the AIs were not much of a. Yeah, and all Civ Four was harder on high difficulties, but that mostly lends to the not being one unit per tile, so it could just leverage the full weight of its crushing production advantage on you, and just hit you with like thirty things early and tech super fast. Thirty axemen wonder. Yeah, I mean, you would get stacks like that on Deity, and that's pretty obnoxious because you also pay more maintenance on high difficulty. So if you build an army capable defending that, then you're going to be behind. So, like, only the elite micro-wizards or people who are really good at gaming the AI diplomatic interactions uh, would get their deity, typically. I was the latter. I was not good enough micromanager-wise to win consistently on deity. I just won sometimes. And this is not a thing on Civ 6 or 5. Well, the AI itself doesn't tech quite quickly enough to put the same kind of pressure. And even when it does tech quickly, it doesn't leverage that into, like, a science or culture victory as rapidly uh, relative to Civ 4. 
but the the main difference is just that there's only so many units they can put on you at once. You know, even if they attack you with like everything they have at the start, they can probably only use like you know five to six units to attack you at once, rather than like fifty. <laughs> and that's a big difference, uh, especially because yeah, of defensive terrain and such, and yeah, and, and how strong cities stack- are. Yeah, and when you can't stack the units together, then like how you actually use the individual units is a lot more important, and that's where both Civ Five and Civ Six really do fall on their faces. Yeah, oh, and if it, if we're talking individual unit usage, then even Civ Four AI fell on its face really hard. Like you could bait out knights and to suicide and stuff, and the only reason that that was it was a bad trade to make was because their production advantage was so great that the knight actually cost them less than the unit you would like suicide to kill it. Uh, but on metal difficulties and blood, that's not true. You could actually get the AI to throw away lots of valuable units for, like, basically nothing. Or, like, really crappy units and just win trades. And that'd be silly to do since it was so easy to conquer it uh, anyway and lose even fewer resources. But the AI would suicide its units to kill in lesser things pointlessly. That was in Civ 5, too. That was great. You remember the, the worker steal and then... You just repeatedly let them recapture the worker, <laughs> kill the unit, take the worker, and then, hey guys, you want this worker? Take... <laughs> hey guys, bait, bait! Yeah? <laughs> the AI would take the bait every time. <laughs> a human player, for the first time, would go, oh, wait a minute, you know, but the AI, no, let me just repeatedly throw this guy, no, I want that, I want that, I want that. Doesn't, if the AI could recognize that this getting repeatedly, you know, well, uh, most human players would not let you get their worker anyway. That would have to be an oversight yeah. in the first place. It was like, people get a little nervous when your military units are around their civilians. So As they should be. Yeah, of course. So unless you're doing this from, like, out of the fog or something, it's pretty unlikely you're going to be able to snag a, a worker in any of the or games. Or a barbarian outpost literally spawns, like, two tiles from your builder and you're like or settler, and you're like, oh, come on! Yeah. Or your trader, that happens to be quite a lot. Is a barbarian spawning, like, the outpost is literally on the path that my trader is taking, and I'm like, well, I can't get a unit there in time. I guess I should just start figuring out which city I'm going to build a new trader in. Now, that would frustrate me. I don't know if that's still true, but, ha- like, when you have a camp or something, it's, it can be in the fog, and then a unit can spawn, and that unit has movement. So you can actually have a, a fast unit spawn towards you and then move towards you, and then attack you, and that's a pretty big cheap shot from yep, the barbed calves. Yeah. Especially yet, early in the game. I still prefer it to Civ IV's barbs, because Civ IV's barbs were obnoxious because of how RNG impacted the early game before catapults, and also opaque. Like, the best way to handle barbarians was to use, like, warriors, scouts, and uh, work boats uh, to, to block them spawning in the first place. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> that's not... That's not good design. It was useful to know that once you knew that, that you were better off fighting barbed galleys by using work boats to prevent them from existing. But that's just stupid. <laughs> yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the fact that every combat in Civ 4 had to result in one unit or the other dying is, I think, like the biggest thing that keeps me from going back and playing Civ 4. Because that was something that always frustrated me, and now after playing Civ Five and Civ Six, I think it would frustrate me even more. Because if you do, when you do have that that combat matchup where you've got the 90, 95, 99 percent chance of winning, and you lose, and now you've <laughs> got to spend the production to rebuild that unit, it's just it's it's like kicking you when you're down, you know? Yeah. Although most of the game is balanced decently around that, because units cost relatively less, uh, so you're expected to have more of them. 
And the siege and mechanic, the siege and collateral mechanic takes away a lot of the RNG for that because you just strip most of their health using collateral damage. And then, okay, you might lose like a couple units to 99% odds across an entire game, but it's going to be such a small proportion of your unit investment. And so a few and far between that it's not a big deal. But well, mostly it, I, before I that... construction, all that goes out the window. You can get absolutely hosed on one bad dice roll in the very early game, and that is not good. Because yeah, that's, early... again, the most important part of the game in any of these games, Civ 4, 5, 6, and before, is your early, your early phase, because that snowballs. So having those bad outcomes so drastically affect your game is really frustrating, and that, that's a big problem in Civ 4. Right, so if you send, like, a little army of, like, three or four units out to, like, take on one barbarian camp, and that barbarian, like, just luckily kills two of your units, it's like, oh, come on, really? Oh. Like, you know, in Civ Five or Civ Six, you know, your army of, of four or five units would be overkill, right? Like, the barbarians wouldn't stand a chance. And it's like, yeah, because I sent a large army to make sure that, you know, nothing bad would happen. Whereas in Civ Four, like, yeah, you could still just get hosed. Well, Civ Four didn't use camps. They just appeared in the fog, as long as it was at least two tile, more than two tiles away from another unit. Oh, right, but they did have cities. Yeah, um, but the the cities were kind of weird in that they weren't like uh, Civ uh, Five and Six Barb camps. They they were really passive. If you left the city alone for like fifty turns, it might organize a really tiny weak sauce assault. But honestly, like the, the cities did more to prevent further barbs that are aggressive from spawning than they did to actually threaten you, unless you just really left them alone like for ages. <laughs> So once Barb City started showing up, you actually got less Barbarians, oddly, and so far. Again, opaque and non-intuitive. <laughs> like, that, that's not what you would anticipate. And reasonably, you would expect a Barb City to be more aggressive than random spawning Barbs. But it's not even close. It's just a free city, normally. But, well, well, you think you, if you have, have to a city, it, they're not but... Barbarians anymore, but... <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, but they, they still otherwise act like Barbarians. But yeah, the units in the cities just sit there. So until it starts producing stuff where it has like no workers and no like and a lower tech than most civs because it's it's based on an average and it trails the average of all civs. So and it's only one city. So its production and its production and development is so stunted that they're really crappy. Like if you played Terra, then sometimes the New World barbarian cities would at least be. They would at least have done something, but even then it was really weak. Speaking of which, I haven't played Terra maps on uh, Civ 6. How does that compare? Neither have I. I used to love them in Civ 4. Because you don't have Barb Cities now. Yeah, the past couple of weekends we've been doing that with the multiplayer game, and it's not that bad, honestly, because uh, the other the thing with the... <clears throat> excuse me. With the Terra map is it tends to put... It puts, like, one or two city-states on the main continent, and all the rest of the city-states are over there. Oh, okay, so, so you do have some incentive. it up. Yeah. 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 Does it also does it also do a good job of putting unique luxuries and resources on uh, on either continent? So, like, there's a reason for you to go to the new continent to get new resources. I don't know that I've noticed if it was unique resources or not. I don't think it's been so much of a problem necessarily, at least in that those games. But well, yeah, the tuning of Civ Six is such that it's going to be like you have to grow your cities a lot and have a fair amount of cities to be really crunched. On luxuries, typically. Yeah, but it's, it's, it was the first time we did it, played it. I deliberately took coupe, but then I also uh, random rolled him one time too, and it was like, well, I'm just gonna go over here and set all this stuff. Have fun with that extra AI over there, guys. <laughs> yeah, coupe in a, a Terra map is kind of unfair. I know, but I just wanted to do it the first time just to see. 
And yeah, in our multiplayer games, you have to remember, like, the humans are friendly to each other, uh, mostly. So you're going to have guaranteed luxury <laughs> trades that are more prevalent than you would get in single player. Yeah, so yeah. it's even less of an issue. I totally want back the fellow humans. That would never happen. Yeah, maybe. First so, of the game, later on. Anything else we want to cover with our uh, comparing e pins? <laughs> Not really. Alright, in that just case... The, it's, it's, yeah, it's just the natural cycle of how the Civ game goes. So next up, we have a topic from Miniature Death Robot on the Civ Fanatics forum titled Getting the Most Out of Unique Units. And Miniature Death Robot says that all the specific strategy guides I've read pay a lot of attention to unique units. However, in my experience, conquering cities is all about the siege units and bombers. What am I missing here? Are you used more useful in human-v-human -human matches? And uh, then a lot of the forum topic is people comparing different uh, UUs and saying which UUs are really good, which UUs are really bad. Um, I do want to say that uh, when I write strategy guides, uh, I do try to point out when I think that a civilization or leader's unique unit or building or ability or whatever is not very useful. Like, uh, I even linked in this thread that I know specifically in my Georgia strategy guide, I said that the Kevser is kind of garbage. Like, build them <laughs> if you have a good opportunity to, but don't ever plan like your entire game around them because you're just going to be shooting yourself in the foot uh so at least some people do uh cover that in their strategy guides you know there's a whole section on the kevser when they're useful how to use them and then like the actual guide is like one sentence or two you know use them if you can otherwise don't worry about it and it really so, depends on civ too like some like you said the kevser is pretty weak whereas some of the other unique units like the orc heart for example are extremely important to the Civ's progression in question. Yes, that is a yeah. unique unit that you will build an entire strategy around. The uh, the Warcart, the Nubian, what is it, Petati, Petiti Archer, that has like three <laughs> movement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those things are incredible as well. Dithia is unique. Uh, Montezuma is unique. Uh, maybe the Roman Legion. Like, those are units where you build your entire game plan around getting that unit early and using it for as long as you possibly can. Although now that unique units are not guaranteed resourceless, that is that does put a constraint on some things like the Legion, which actually require the resource in question to use them, where that wasn't true yes. in Civ 6 Vanilla. Uh, so some guys will be out of date in that regard. You can usually get the resource, but it's something to keep in mind. Like You, you want to procure that early so you can actually use your unique unit in its window where it's really strong. And it's yeah, true, and once cities get walls... Now now you do have to have a way to deal city walls. You still need to kill the enemy units. And unique units do help you a lot in that regard. But when it comes to fighting the AI, you really don't need it, honestly. Because the AI is not very good tactically, as we covered in our earlier segment uh, in any <laughs> yeah. of the games. So it's quite easy to use, like, stock swordsmen with a great general and some archers or whatever. And just, like, kill all the AI units and lose nothing. That Unless it's way ahead of you technologically, uh, that's pretty consistent to do. So, yeah, it, it does come down to the cities. And kind of calling back to some of the stuff we talked about in the previous topic, uh, I do feel like that window for using unique units in Civ 6 is a lot narrower and closes a lot quicker and more suddenly uh, in Civ 6 compared to Civ 4 and Civ 5. Because A, unlike Civ that. 5, 
Well, I, I mean, it can, but unlike Civ Five, your the unique abilities of the unit do not transfer when you upgrade the unit. So when that unit becomes obsolete, those abilities also become obsolete. And when you've got like a genuinely unique ability, like uh, the Montezuma's uh, Eagle Warrior's ability to capture uh, builders from defeated enemy units, like that ability basically just goes away right by halfway through the game. You can't use that anymore. Yeah. And then the other issue is like we talked about before, like the the fact that it takes longer to get your units places. So there is much more of a risk, especially on the quicker game speeds in Civ Six, of by the time you get your, your army to where it needs to be, those units have become obsolete. Uh, so if, if you're playing on the longer game speeds, Epic and Marathon, that's not as big of a problem. You have more time to actually get your units places. But on shorter game speeds, like sometimes it's, yeah, you get them there and the opponent already has better units. The reason I don't completely agree is that the benefit of technology in unit quality is less in Civ Six than earlier titles, to the extent where you can not just overcome more advanced units, but straight up surpass them by stacking bonuses uh, to your military. So like you can have, for example, in the late game, artillery armies with great general boosts and some promotions uh, legitimately killing endgame units, uh, anything other than a GDR on the ground will take a lot of damage from that. Same thing with infantry armies and a couple promotions, great general. If you have that stacked up, you can kill mech infantry very easily, uh, despite that they're way ahead of you in tech. And then because you have all these promotions and army, you can also shred the cities, uh, often in a single turn. You strip the walls and then your infantry have no trouble taking it. Yes. And if you compare that to, say, Civ IV, there, there was no way, no way to keep up. Uh, with future tech. And some of the, the tech breakpoints were just brutal. Like going from longbows to rifles in Civ 4 was a nightmare. And considering that the AI is not so upgrade happy in Civ 6, even now, I mean, it's been improved somewhat, but in, in the earlier game, it had such a discount to that that the second it hit rifling, it, the, all this stuff would turn into rifles in like a couple turns. And that was really frustrating. So you had to make use of that window and you had to get it right. If you were just like five turns too slow, it could change your game. Whereas if you're pushing a great general army with well-promoted uh, units in Civ Six, the upgrades relative to unit production costs are cheaper in Civ Six for you as well. Uh, plus, even if they get ahead of you, you can probably still kill your units without losing anything. And that's a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's much more balanced about that than it used to be. Whereas, like, the unique units now, they're helpful, but they're not necessarily game-losing, game-winning. Because you can take, as you pointed out, the normal average unit army, you know, just the ordinary unit army, ordinary swords, ordinary rifles, or what have you, and go and put them all together and smash some other so. And keep in mind, you can keep some eagle warriors around and just, like, pick off weakened units using the eagle warrior. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah you, you can, but I think eventually it gets to the point where even a weakened unit is probably going to slaughter it in combat. I don't know, maybe, I, I haven't explicitly tested it. Maybe that's not true, I don't know. I mean, eventually, but you're you're talking like so late in the game that it's it's kind of silly by that point. But yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, you, you just have to be careful about making sure that you actually get that enemy unit weak enough to the point where your eagle warrior can kill it without having already accidentally killed it with the units that are intended to soften it up. <laughs> that's true. That is a bit annoying to do that. I do. I agree. Yeah, you you can't like get him down to one hit point and then choose to not use the rest of your six combat strength and spare his <laughs> life so you can enslave him. Yeah. False swipes. <laughs> <laughs> so what are some other... Uh, Egypt's is pretty good early on. 
as well. It's very expensive, though. Yeah, but it's it's good, though. So that's another one. Uh, Natoa with the Maori, because I, well, that's a sword replacement type thing, but it doesn't require the iron, so you just sit there and go, chunk, 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 chunk. Oh, yeah. hey, look. Yeah, resourceless is a big advantage, even more so than it was on vanilla, because now, like, yeah. you don't have to worry about resource accrual, even. Like, the moment you have that, you can you can spit out those swords. Now everybody else can't do that. So that's a, yeah. And if you're not using those units, you can sell all that excess iron for a pretty good chunk of change. That's true. Probably don't want to sell it to your target, but anybody else should be game. Yeah, don't, don't sell your iron to Montezuma or <laughs> Alexander. Sell it to, like, uh, sell it to Congo and to uh, Gandhi. <laughs> yeah, it's great that Congo will buy that. He's just trying to get his night rush down, I guess. The Cossack's really good too, but it's it's too late to, yeah, to that was change just the pointed game. Out other word, the threat is that some of them are just the unique unit itself isn't bad, but it comes so late in the game that it's not going to be a game decider. Yeah, oh, any yeah. air unit, that's yeah, probably any... going to be the case with. Yeah, mm -hmm. and stuff like Rough Riders, which uh, Knight Tarrant brings yeah. up. Like the, the, you, those civs like that basically don't have a unique unit, and so I wouldn't do anything more than passing mention them in a guide about that civ. And then, you know, map type comes into play as well. If you've got a sieve that has naval units and you're playing on Pangea, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Roll England on a Pangea, well. Yeah, right. Or Norway or uh, uh, Phoenicia. Norway gets the pillage bonuses, though, no? That's true. Norway's UU actually is, like, decent on a not-continents or archipelago map. You just have to hope that the other players actually bother to settle near the cities. Well, they're not. Or most people the won't settle directly on the coast, but you might be able to get some improvements that way. I was more thinking they're don't they get bonuses for pillaging in general? Well, yeah, but we were talking about unique units. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, their UU is kind of kind of weak. Yeah, the the longship I actually really like as a unique unit, but it is you know very situational about like what, oh yeah, but they also have that berserker, which is probably what you're talking about. So yeah, that one's good. Yeah, the berserker is iffy too, though. Just because of how it sits on the deck tree. Yeah, you got to get to military tactics, which is probably usually something that most people don't bother beelining to. And then you can't upgrade into it. You have to build it from scratch. And I don't know problem. if it costs iron now, does it? I don't know. In Gathering Storm? I haven't mm -hmm. used them in Gathering Storm. I used them in Vanilla because they were broadly considered one of the worst saves, so I just picked them for that reason. But now that um, pillaging has been buffed, <laughs> I wouldn't put them quite as low any longer. Despite that they're unique, you know, they're still not that great. Yeah, and you don't have to waste two social policy cards in order to be able to pillage both districts and improvements. I think they combined those onto one uh, policy card now. Let's see, anyone else have really good unique units? I'm sure we'll be forgetting somebody and someone will get upset because we forgot somebody. And there yeah, are a fair few one good of you said uniques. That I think one of you said that the Kosak is really good, but I, I'm pretty sure that someone on this thread said that they played with Russia and thought the Kosak was crap. Yeah, so. but like attack and move is... Like, now that that's not standard for cavalry, that's really strong to have that by itself. Mm. Yeah, it is. And I also, personally, I'm fond of, uh, of rangers and of privateers. Uh, hmm. That's not good. Like uh, Scotland, because they've got that fancy, uh, unique ranger, and uh, it's really easy to get cores with those because you just like build a bunch of scouts that probably take one or two turns to build at that point in the game, just before you tech to rifling, and uh, then you just merge them with your 
you know, scouts that you've had since the start of the game, and you've got some really buffed up cores. Sorry, I briefly dropped there. I caught most of that, but not all of it. Yeah, when you have the bigger maps and you need to have a map clean up, that can those guys, those guys can be very handy instead of you having to send your actual proper military military units out because you have other things to do with those guys. Yeah, and then there's like the the Brazilian battleship, and just battleships by themselves are great. So having a better battleship is greater. Yeah, you just have to get to them, man. <laughs> yeah, insane. but I mean, once you have them, like coastal cities or cities that are within, you know, two tiles of the coast are just like yours if you want them, if they don't have battleships themselves. Yeah, or uh, planes, because uh, right. planes are pretty obnoxious. Aren't battleships pretty good at shooting down planes, though? I don't think so. I thought it was destroyers that had the better anti-air, yeah. but maybe I'm yeah. forgetting. The rest of the naval units are meant to be slightly vulnerable, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's how I would think it would work, but I, I I just feel like I played a game once and, like, was either fighting someone else's battleship or had planes attacking my battleship and thought, like, dang, why is the battleship so good at taking down planes? Maybe it was, like, an era thing. Maybe they were fighting me with, like... Oh, yeah, if they're attacking you with, like, biplanes or something. But if they're yeah, attacking you with proper been... fighters, I don't think so. Like, from what I saw uh, from Victoria's tests, uh, it, it was pretty brutal and not in favor of the ships. Yeah, if they're attacking you with, like, back era stuff, then that's not as big a deal. So, are we done with unique units? Hi. I guess we will move on to a less unique unit, or, uh, you're unique in that it gets one use per, perhaps. So, are Thermonukes too strong by Carnix? Now, let me just answer this question first off, and it might be surprising to get this answer from me. But, I would actually argue, yes, they are too strong in the modern Civ games. Like, and I posted in this thread. Because he's showing an example where you can punch a, um, or, or you can like destroy a Sam with a nuke, and then you can take out a city with a nuke. So there's basically no counterplay. And it's true that they're really expensive, but it, it's kind of ridiculous the hammer ratio that you get from nukes versus anything else. So they really do need direct counterplay. And another thing, like people point out, yeah, they should be devastating. Well, no, the the problem with that is that in Civ. One city is representing multiple cities for a civilization, necessarily. Like, you, you have to take it that way. Like, there, there's no way France has, like, five cities in their life total. So, yeah. it, what a thermonuke is doing here is comparable to something like destroying the entire state of Texas with one nuke. <laughs> okay, then that's a little strong. Yeah, but it's I a mean, little home, huh? Well, that, that's the example I gave in the thread, because Texas is really, really freaking big. Like, it's bigger than a heavy majority of the countries in the world. And yeah. a nuke is just... <laughs> I, like I said, it's cartoon ridiculous. You, you could throw, like, 12-plus nukes on Texas, maybe even two dozen nukes on Texas, and that would really, like, that would screw people over. Like, you would have very, very long-lasting effects. Millions would die. You, you wouldn't be able to farm things there. There would be serious problems. But it would not completely wipe out all human life there and leave a crater like there'd still be some viable stuff even if you th fired that many uh so, so there's the a pretty big is basically acting as if it's a planet buster from alpha centauri yeah which is which a bit much because that's not like future <laughs> that, that, that's like super future tech basically it, yeah. for civ purposes and I, and I just don't think, think the game about... needs them that strong. Like, people are saying they're too weak in Civ 4. No. If you had people running tack nukes on you in Civ 4, as long as their production was decent, you were still incapable of defending yourself. You were going to lose with nukes at that level of strength. They did not need to be made stronger. Like, you were completely hosed in Civ 4. 
And that took like two or three nukes to clear the units out of a city. But one nuke can was really nukes, weak in In Civ 6, can nukes even be shot down before they hit the target? Because I, I think I remember Civ 5, you could not shoot down nukes. And that was one of the things that I thought made them a little bit too powerful. You can, but there's ways around it because uh, SAMs are limited. So Right, because I think in, in Civ 6, the way they work is you load them onto bombers, right? So the bomber can get shot down, hypothetically, yeah, or, just or it can be turned away by a SAM. Like, you don't even have to shoot it down. You can just damage it and make it retreat, right, without dropping the bomb. Yeah. The problem is, uh, in the, it's, it's in the first post here, uh, SAMs only have an intercept radius of one, so you can actually kill them with a nuke by hitting them outside their intercept radius. <laughs> right, well, and then also I think you can just use fighters or whatever, because don't they still also only get one intercept per turn, or was that in Civ Five? Is that true? I admit I haven't used air units a lot in the newer games, so the, yeah, the nuance I. And I don't of their think interactions... I've ever... Yeah, I don't think I've ever actually had a nuke used in any of my games of Civ Six. Like, I think when I first played vanilla, like when it first came out, and I got to the end of the game, I dropped a nuke on someone just to see what it would do and what it would look like. Yeah, uh, same for And me. then, like, reloaded the earlier save to actually finish the game, like, for real. But I don't think I've ever actually seen, like, a legit use of a, of a nuclear weapon in any of my games of Civ Six ever. Well, I've never been nuked by the AI, so... I don't know. Well, I've never been nuked by the AI, and I don't think I've ever nuked an AI in Civ Six. Don't yeah, I don't. I don't think I've done it really since Civ Five. Because there we sometimes in an end game of Civ Five where somebody was so powerful that nuking them first before you invaded was the best way to go. But oh, I those are clean out carpets in a hurry for sure. Yeah, but I don't and, think I've encountered it in Civ single player or multiplayer where you absolutely had to do it. Grim just does it for fun. Yeah. Another thing, too, is, uh, or another question that I have is, uh, do nuclear weapons in Civ Six contribute to global warming? I don't know. They shouldn't, but who I just, knows? I, I, I'm going to have to run a game later and just go dropping nukes just to find out. That's, that's a good question. Well, we because another counterplay, yeah, another counterplay <laughs> to the nukes being too strong could be if the nukes actually are doing global damage to, like, everyone in the game then there then you do have that possibility of there being a situation where it's like yeah i could use a nuke to damage this enemy sieve but then like you know i'm risking global warming happening and my own cities might flood before i can get my flood walls up so then there's like a risk reward element to deciding whether or not to use them and you've got a little bit of that like mutually assured destruction thing going on which in real life is the deterrent to using a nuclear weapon yeah, in real life. In Civ, not so much, because if you damage everybody's infrastructure and you're the only one with nukes, you're just going to extend the amount of time where you have nukes and they don't. <coughs> right. One improvement that I will say about Civ 6 compared to Civ 5 is I don't think Civ 5 had the missile silos. I think the nukes had to be stationed in cities or on uh, submarines or... Uh, was that it? Just cities and submarines? But Civ Six, you have the missile silos, which you can build away from your cities. So if someone does take out your city with a nuke, you still might have the chance to shoot back with your own nuke. It's not going to be destroyed along with the city and any other units that are in the city. Can't they destroy so the silo? It, yeah, you, you, yeah, I think you could. I don't know if that would destroy the, the silo or the... Uh, it, it probably shouldn't, right? Because that mutually yeah. assured destructive destruction should be a significant deterrent to using a nuke against someone else who is nuclear capable. 
I think the design space for nukes and Civ, really going back to when they were implemented, is just to be end the, to end the game. Nukes end the game. I suppose that's true. Because but the, I mean the now especially for them, Civ and every version of the game has been so limited. So like, the, it's the first time. Well, that's not true, but it's one of the few times in Civ where the attacker has the advantage instead of the defender, and that advantage goes from like significant to freaking massive when we start talking about nukes. Because normally yeah. the defender has a, a significant advantage, but it's not as huge as just having the attacker capable of wiping out everything before the defender gets a move. And even are in Civ 4, nukes, you could do that. Are the nukes available earlier, earlier, though, in Civ 6, like compared to Civ 5 and Civ 4? Because there is like now that whole extra era. You know, we have the, you know, it used to be like the modern era was the end of the game, but now we have an information era, and now in Gathering Storm, a future era. So, like, does that actually push the availability of the nukes to a point in the game that's early enough where, like, there is still a substantial chunk of the game left to play after nukes can be deployed? I don't think so. I, I feel like they were relevant earlier uh, in Civ Ford in some ways. Because you did have Atomic and Information in Future Era in uh, Civ Four as well. But you just needed fission and rocketry. And you, you could beeline those texts to some degree. Yeah, you could get in there and get the nukes early and start cleaning out a stronger AI that way. Yeah. The only... Like, you had uh, SDI in Civ 4, so ICBMs would get shut down a lot, and Tacnukes would have a two-third chance of uh, evading interception, but it was uh, still a pretty significant nerf on your ability to nuke people. You also had improvements that reduced the damage in cities, so the nukes had some more counterplay, but when push comes to shove, there's just no army in Civ 4 that could stand up to nukes. And because it was stack-based... <laughs> a single nuke could just erase everything. And yeah, that's and still true in the, the modern civs, that if somebody has a chunk of nukes, you're probably screwed. Because once yeah, they hit they you, you can't like do anything. Yeah. And Civ so, 4 also had the bunkers and the fallout shelters, too, that you could build yeah. as like some degree of, of defensive so you, counterplay. Yeah, so you wouldn't lose a bunch of your infrastructure. You'd lose, still lose some, but you wouldn't lose as much yeah. you did without. It would, yeah, it would take more nukes units, to like completely your... flatten somebody. Yeah some of your population infrastructure would be spared. But still, even with all that, if you like put six nukes per city in like submarines and just declared and dropped six nukes on every city in range, uh, there wasn't a whole lot left on the target. Then they wouldn't yeah, this is move, one of, really. Nuclear weapons in civilization is definitely one of those areas where I, I think you the designers have to make a conscious decision whether these are going to be designed for gameplay or for realism. And uh, in, in Civs, it definitely seems like they've erred towards gameplay, like you said, them just being a, a way to end the game earlier for the, you know, civilization who has them. Yeah, they, they seem almost entirely designed to break a military stalemate. Because even if both people have nukes, it do, at that point, whoever uses them first wins, rather than having, like, similar strength units able to repel each other using defender's advantage. And I guess I'm okay with that, although it does put a crimp on most of the other victory conditions, again, because if you have the tech to use nukes, uh, then like stuff like culture victory is not going to hold up very long. You, you have to win before nukes, if you're going for that. And right, your opponents but are of trying. course, if, if you have the techs for building spaceship parts and stuff like that, then you have the tech for nukes. Yes, yes, of course. But then that means you could have also just use the tech for nukes to win that way instead of going for space if you prefer it. Right, which is what which was my point. <laughs> yeah. Like it, like you said it kind of cuts the legs out from the other victory types cuz you can just end the game 
earlier by just nuking everyone into oblivion as opposed to going through the time and trouble of building all the spaceship parts and then launching it and all that stuff. Yeah. Which in Civ 6 in particular takes a lot, a long time to do. Yeah, there's a lot of production in that and a lot of extra attacks. It's probably less expensive in production to conquer stuff, honestly. Yeah, and then you've got spies constantly sabotaging your spaceport, so you're constantly having to repair your spaceports and yada, yada, yada. Spies are fun. I don't know which game I like spies the most in, because they've had an amusing (laughs) role in Civ 4, 5, and 6, and it's hard for me to pick one. Yeah, I've never been fully happy with how the spies have worked in any of the games. Yeah, Um, they've always had some issues, but they've been lulzy the whole way through kind of interesting yeah in civ 4 i liked the idea of the spies being a unit but it was just so tedious <laughs> especially since they got returned to your capital like every time you use them yeah and then you had to like gotta march waste them 20... all the way back yeah that that was terrible I, th- I think if civ 4 had been such that like you could use the spy multiple times in enemy territory like it like for example if in civ 6 if the spy were a unit and it had like three or five charges before it had to, re- you know, was either used up or had to return uh, to your territory. I-, I think then it being a unit would maybe be, be, you know, viable, would be good. I don't know, though, because, like, what's the advantage? Since other things aren't interacting with it anyway. Just cut that out and just put it where you assign it. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have to have something where its position on the map is relevant, you know, like other spies can see it, or like maybe there being infrastructure that you, like maybe you build checkpoints or something like that along your borders, or have a policy for border checkpoints, so when they cross your border, there's a chance they might get seen. But yeah, it, it, it gets weird. Yeah. Or if they blow it one too many times, then they disappear because they've compromised them. Well, that can happen now anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, do they get... I think Civ 6 is pretty reasonable, except for the the wrong display odds. Like, if you, <laughs> you you cannot take the chance of getting caught display odds on faith, and that, that has been demonstrated in one of the threads. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah that, that's one of those times where the odds are presented are actually inaccurate. Because it's not, it's showing like one factor accurately, but not not considering others. So your real odds of getting caught are nowhere near what's being displayed. I think my biggest problem with the way that spies work in Civ 5 and Civ 6 is that, like, they, they really do just feel like they come out of nowhere. You know, like, you have no <laughs> idea that someone else is committing espionage against you, like, at all until, until they one succeed. of your great works. Yeah, one of your great works goes missing. I mean, that's you're kind like, of. Oh, come on, really? That, that's kind of the point of espionage, though, isn't it? Well, like... yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's it, it, to I... be a surprise. But... <laughs> well, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, I, I could see room for there maybe being more smaller missions that they have to do to work up to that. And, like, there's a chance that the other player, like, discovers and then actually has a chance to deploy their own spies or social policies or whatever to try to catch them before they do the big thing like stealing a great work or sabotaging a spaceport because like i said it just to me it just feels like it comes out of the blue and again there's not really much counterplay to it because you have no idea where the spies are going to be and if you've and in civ 6 in particular you've got larger empires with more cities you can't put one of your spies in every one of your cities oh you're probably putting Uh, them in your your spaceports or something if you care yeah and they only protect like the one district and the adjacent district so it's not even like you put them in your city center and they're protecting the whole city yeah so it's kind of like it's another area where i'm not sure if the counterplay to them is quite right quite where it should be similar to the nukes i i don't think they're as egregious though and like if you add more if you add more complexity to it i i worry about click fatigue 
because I, I think it would be difficult to make a really engaging espionage system where the decisions are non-trivial inside the scope of Civ and Civ turns. Yeah. It would be something. It would have to be something where the spies are available much earlier in the game. Like you have medieval or renaissance like spies. It would oh, be boy. interesting because you had that. I mean, somebody who was a diplomat in that era was also a spy, basically. Now you're but making you me think to... of Crusader King. <laughs> but you had to have diplomats so you could negotiate with people. So you eventually, you basically had to have spies. But then you, I guess you just had to learn to look for the obvious spy. You know, I do, however, really like that in Civ Six you actually have to build your spies like you don't just get them for free so <laughs> it actually requires an active investment on the player's part to have a good espionage or counter espionage network it's not just like oh you researched a tech and now you just have a free spy you know what are you going to do with it now yeah it was very passive in civ 5 so i like that civ 6 at least made it a little bit more active yeah it was pretty much just uh, civ 5 that did that you had to invest in them otherwise even in the civs before 4 you had to invest in them yeah that's uh a little bit of a tangent from thermonuclear weapon strength. Although, <laughs> you could use uh, spies to nuke people in Civ 2. So there was that. <laughs> we could bring that back. <laughs> oh boy. That was fun. I feel like nuclear suitcases were in later Civ games as well. Were like, they? Wasn't that a, something you could do in Civ 4? No. They, they, that was the definitely out thing. in Civ 4. I don't remember about maybe, Civ 3. The last time I used maybe, it was Civ 2, maybe. but I barely played Civ 3, so... I can't say it wasn't in Civ 3, but I know for a fact it was in 2 and it was not in 4. Nuclear suitcases were great. <laughs> As if Civ 2 needed even more broken tactics, because you could like straight up buy cities away from each other using espionage in Civ 2. Unless they were running certain governments, you could just use your diplomat or spy to just... Roll up and say, hey, want to join my empire? Sure! Yeah, it's not even a do you want to. It's not even a dice check. Like, if you had the money, the city was yours. Yeah. I mean, the bigger the city, the more expensive it got, therefore the more impractical it was. But you could yeah. buy off a lot of your enemy. Yeah. And I forget what it did with the military units, but that was uh, that was no joke, that stuff. Now, that that was a strong anti-stack incentive Civ 2 had. Oh my gosh. With the whole, like, if you're not in a fort or a city and you lose a unit, everything in the stack is done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty brutal. But yeah, that, that's that's even more significant than collateral. Did not do it. Oh, okay. So the, the, so the summation here is that you should use nukes because they're fun. So that's our takeaway. And that they might be a little <laughs> too strong, but enjoy it. But that's the point. Yeah. yeah. Just end the game now. It's not realistic compared to real life, but a lot of things in Civ are not realistic compared to real life. So. Yeah, most things. And and another thing, too, in Civ 6 is you do have to have the uh, other things going, too, because you, unlike in previous Civ games, you have to load the uh, nuclear bomb onto a bomber. So if you did not in bother investing in bombers, you know, like you don't really get to use them. So yeah, that was it's not like you just research the tech. Yeah, so it's, it's not like you just research the fission technology and you're just dropping bombs left and right. Like you you have to research in other techs and invest in other units and infrastructure in order for them to be useful. Because in Civ Four, you had to build the Manhattan Project, and then you needed both fission and rocketry, or you couldn't build nukes. Yeah, you need the uranium, of course. Uh, and ICPMs are very impractically expensive compared to Technics, but Technics only had a range of four. So you would also need submarines if you wanted to nuke anything meaningful beyond your borders. That or getting open borders with people so you could house your nukes in their land and fire them off on your hapless target from multiple angles, I guess. 
Yeah, which is something that I don't think you can do at all in Civ Five or Civ Six. You can't station your nukes or planes in other people's cities. Yeah, I don't think so. That is kind of unfortunate for planes. Uh, nukes is maybe a bit of a reach, but being able to station yeah, aircraft in, would be nice. I mean, in real life, that's a lot of what happens. I mean, I think most of the most of the nukes in Europe are American nukes. I think I could be wrong about that. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we you have know, accurate the counts. Soviet... Uh, there are new- European nations yeah. also have nukes. So, yeah, I don't know what percentage are U.S. versus, say, French or right. something. Right, but I'm but... pretty sure that, you know, a- there are a lot of planes and tanks and, you know, nuclear missiles in Europe that are American, you know, just because of the way that works. And then you had the situations where, like, the Soviet Union tried putting nukes in Cuba and, you know, all <laughs> that. So, uh, yeah, yeah I-, I think there's definitely room in the game for being able to use other cities as like, you know, proxies for your military. And, uh, you know, there's the only thing that Civ six does with that respect is the ability to levy units. So we just need to fix diplomacy first and then this mechanic would be fine. (laughs) Yeah. About that. (laughs) Just, just, uh, yeah, that, that'll be simple. Just fix diplomacy. And while they're at it, they might as well just, just fix the AI and make the AI play perfectly, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fix and program all this stuff for us already. Yeah. It, just just make a good AI. Just do that. And then it, it'll all be taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> totally possible. All right. Any other comments on Thermonukes? Nope. Going once, going twice. All right, then. All this has been... 349 of Polygust. It's a, a three-man, well, two men and one woman army today. I'm Makalua, and with me today, as usual, the me and team. Using nukes like OMA noob tubes. And mega bears. Apparently, I should start using nukes. Yes, yes. you should. They're fun. Yes. All the nukes. Big bada boom. <laughs>